there are national bodies that invest in that because it isn't just a military problem. In fact, it's it's in the chief not a military problem. It is a global problem. You know, when you think about where money is and where the disruptive effect is, it is in the infrastructure of nations. You know, it is in in the daily running of nations and their ability to continue that you need to protect against cyber. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. I hope you're all having a great week out there. We're going to have a fun conversation today centered around innovation, but more so in the area of, of defense. So our guest today is Colonel Edward Corrigan, it goes by Eddie, and Eddie, welcome to the show. Hello, Paul. Nice to be here. Thank you. Where are you joining us from? So I'm currently sitting in the Netherlands, where I work for NATO currently, mm -hmm. but obviously this evening, I'm just representing myself as a member of defense. Just like the rest of us, we're Absolutely. just in the country served by NATO. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, you have some great experiences, and thanks for coming on the show to to share some of those with us. My pleasure. So, you know, how did you first get involved in, in innovation management? Yeah, so innovation management is an interesting term, is that? So yeah. innovation has been a part of what, you know, my nation and my military has done ever since I've joined, really. But I personally got very closely involved, stand fast doing experimentation as a troop commander, as a squadron commander, as a regimental commander. I had a job in our army headquarters back in 2010 through 12, and then again, subsequent to that, where part of my role was concepts and technologies. And then again, I did that then for defense logistics in the latter part of the decade. So up until a couple of years ago, I was doing that. And I worked you know, at the defense level as well on multinational projects or multinational initiatives, should I say, to try and develop some bits and pieces with, with other nations, but very much around the whole gamut of innovation and technology and working with our science and technology laboratories multinationally. But it's not just in technologies, it's also in processes and practices that we were doing innovation. So quite a broad portfolio across a lot of people, across a lot of nations. So, yeah, it's sort of in my DNA, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose there were some interesting challenges that you've experienced. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And I think uh, we shouldn't underestimate just how much failure there is in, in innovative ideas and technologies, as well as, you know, really good successes. You know, understanding what, what it can do for you, understanding how you can use it, and then actually trying to bring it to reality. And there's the biggest challenge often, and I'm sure you know. But, you know, technology and innovation follow this hype curve where everybody gets really excited yes. about a new idea and, and everybody chases it for a while and then suddenly realizes it isn't quite what they were looking for or expecting. And it does a bit of a nosedive for a while before it resurges in a new form. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of pain, but a lot of really useful insights from all that process. And, you know, in the, in the commercial sector, we talk about innovation. Sometimes we talk about the ecosystem. But your ecosystem was, was countries, it, a different level of you were just you were in the ecosystem all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, countries, different technology areas, you know, you're trying to bring lots of different strands together. 
And I think we'll probably talk about some of the key areas that people talk about later, you know, sort of big data, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence. All of those things individually sound good, but it's only when you really bring them all together and you can make them work in, in concert that it gets very exciting. But obviously, it brings with it that increased complexity, which makes it harder to achieve. So I think some of the challenges here really are trying to keep the ideas simple, trying to keep the solutions simple and eat the elephant in small bites. Yeah. Well, you know, it's probably driven from the activity of Russia and Ukraine, but the, the NATO the Secretary General has increased targets quite a bit, very high level of readiness. And I think the challenge is to get there within two years. So how is that affecting the world of innovation and the kind of the world you're in? So I think there's an increased impetus. I think what we saw last year, in around about October last year and before that was the Innovation Fund, the, the Diana system. So this new idea that we've now in NATO across all of the nations got an ecosystem across the whole of Europe and the US of innovation. And of course, that was funded and agreed by 22 allies committing about a billion euros to this project over the next few years. And with that starting next year, so we're looking at some big investments beginning next year. And that's already been preceded by a few conferences and a few challenges already at the lower level this year. So, yeah, it's and again, it is, as you say, it's that multinational ecosystem, you know, because I think it started with the 22 agreeing. And I, forgive me now the exact number, but I think we're around about 32 to 36 hubs now across Europe and more. So it's growing. And it's, you know, this is not just about defense. This is about technology industries as well. And, you know, centers of in, you know, excellence in concepts and technologies getting involved and using that money and that impetus right now, as you say, in the face of, you know, clearly what is a heightened concern for everybody, as we see it right now, to come up with some really great solutions to, to improve NATO's collective capability to defend its allies and its territories and prevent things from escalating, hopefully. There's always been great technology that came out of the military. Sometimes it doesn't hit the commercial sector for, for many years afterwards, classified and whatnot. But, but you look, go back in history, you see tremendous technology innovation advancements. And I think now, now it's, you know, you start to hear a little bit different. You start to hear industry working together with, with, with the military alliances and, and kind of working interoperability, those kind of things. Share your thoughts on that a little bit. No, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I think we've recognized that the speed of progress in technology in the last sort of 20, 30 years has outstripped the ability of, you know, defense to keep up fundamentally with that, with that, you know, industry is absolutely leading the way on smart technologies, on artificial intelligence, but defense is a close second. But industry is able to actually bring those to life much more quickly because of the funding mechanisms and the way in which they exploit opportunities and risk. Whereas defense, of course, still needs to maintain its business as usual and still continue paying for that whilst at the back trying to bring those innovations in. So innovation now is not so much, it's not the same as it was before. Innovation really was science and technology in defense. And, you know, and we know the same with the space, you know, the space race. It 
it brought some amazing technologies and people threw money at this to, to outperform potential adversaries. But now industry is the leader. There's no doubt about it. The money that's in industry, the money that's in the technology sector, and the intelligence. Let's not underestimate the people factor of this. Mm -hmm. You know, the military, we're not dinosaurs in the military, obviously. You know, we've got young and thrusting and bright people. But some of these are deep specialists. You know, cyber, um, artificial intelligence, some of these things really are deep specialist people. And industry pays a lot more for that intelligence, you know, for that, that intellect than defense can. So for us, it is really about identifying some of that disruptive technology early and then looking at how that can be adapted or harnessed or converted into something that helps achieve our aims of, you know, being able to defend, you know, the, um, the allies and protect the people. So it's working hand in glove with industry, but they definitely are on the shorter burn time than us. If you were, if you were giving advice to a, a let's say a company, a startup that, uh, you know, was working on some neat technology and, and, and wanted to, explore the possibility of sharing that with the, with, with the military or with NATO or any of the different organizations. What would advice would you give a company like that? Wow, that's really good, isn't it? So I think the first thing is, you know, take a look at what the defense sectors in each of the nations and across NATO are looking for. Look at whether or not your product is, is answering or can be adapted to answer some of the challenges that we're facing. I mean, there is certainly money there, as I've just mentioned, you know, the innovation funds. And, and let's not underestimate that, you know, NATO is, is soon, if not now, I can't remember now exactly where we are, but 32 nations. And those nations individually have their own, you know, innovation funds and science and technology money. And then NATO now has thrown this additional bit on top of this as well. Uh, and so for industry members, look at what you've got and look at how it can benefit defense and the challenges that defense has. You know, I think um, those are well publicized. There's nothing new. There's nothing secret. And obviously, if there were, I wouldn't be talking about it. But there's nothing secret in the challenges we face and some of the technologies that are out there that um, can be harnessed to the benefit of those industries. So for young startups, yeah, find, um, find a challenge across defense that suits the product you've got and then provide something that, that demonstrates the utility and the adaptability of that to defense and then get in on one of these um, conferences on one of these challenges and yeah, make yourself known. I mean, the benefits from that are well proven to quite a few companies now. And some of the smaller startups, particularly, you know, I've done a lot of work um, where we were through a thing that um, we ran in the UK, that I ran in the UK, bringing in lots of small, medium enterprises rather than just the big consortia because some of these people were very disruptive in their thinking and their, in their approaches, uh, very novel ideas. And the new, the new ecosystem of rapid innovation and funding lets them get in on the ground level on this and break the mold. So now's a good time for industry, really. Yeah, that's a, that's a great message. I'm really glad to hear that, and I think a lot of people are, that, that those paths are open now, that it's not the big, the big contractors is the only way in and that there's opportunities for... Like I said, there's a lot of lot of smart people trying a lot of different things out there. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So this window of two years that I've heard about, right? That's that's not a long time. Do you think it's feasible that, that some of that those concepts could could emerge and actually be deployable in that time frame as a capability? 
Yeah, Paul, I don't think we should underestimate what's already going on. So when we talk about a horizon of two years from now, you know, we've got to think about the fact that innovation in, in defense has been going on for decades, as you said, you know, 70 years worth of NATO, you know, innovation and technology, but now using industry to support it in doing it more rapidly, more affordably as well, because obviously it moves on so quickly. But some of the concepts that are behind those things have been around for a long time. I mean, if we talk about things like autonomous vehicles or autonomous equipments, you know, you know as well as I do that people like Tesla and, or, you know, Elon Musk and his gang have been working on these for many years, you know, and Google and others, you know, data integration and data protection, you know, ever since, ever since Microsoft kicked off, you know, originally. And of course, there are other brands for the advertisers out there, but, you know, those kinds of technologies have been out for a long time. Bringing those in, as I said, one of the problems is if we think too big, if we try and wrap this all up into a really big, complex solution, that's when you start to fall down. Buying smaller, simpler, cheaper, not necessarily cheap, but cheaper and more affordable bits may give us the technological edge, may overface the adversary, may you know, may disrupt the adversary's thinking or approach to business. And some of those things are pretty much near already. I mean, swarming drones, you know, is already a reality in industry and in civilian life, you know, turning that into military capability just requires a bit more adaptation, but it's already sort of there. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in my own nation, the UK, I know that um, there was a recent announcement of some swarming drone capabilities and we're not the first in that, you know. So say, if you look for simpler technologies, uh, that's good. I mean, some of the other things we would be talking about is, as I say, data integration. So with 32 nations, soon to be in NATO, communications assets, you know, nationally different, the ability to almost create a sort of a babel fish to talk between systems, those things are not that far removed. So when we say two years, I mean, it is in two years from now, but it's probably been in in the you know in the birthing for some time and many of these are nearing proper maturity so we should see some stuff coming soon that's great that's great and you mentioned uh cyber mm. we're just seeing so much around both cyber and communications what's happening uh certainly yeah. in, in ukraine but but all over i mean the, the campaigns that are happening politically we have agents breaking into elections and and, and trying to change outcomes of destiny of countries. It's really a, an amazing time right now. And I think a lot of private industry is trying to tackle those problems. So it's natural to link that up with some of the things you've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think, you know, there are always two sides of this, aren't there? So it's not just trying to do cyber, which of course we don't, we don't want to do cyber in a big way. We want to defend against it in terms of our technology development. Yes. Right. You know, obviously there are agencies and there are national bodies that invest in that because it isn't just a military problem. In fact, it's it's in the chief, not a military problem. It is a global problem. You know, when you think about where money is and where the disruptive effect is, it is in the infrastructure of nations. You know, it is in in the daily running of nations and their ability to continue that you need to protect against cyber. And it is mostly cyber protection. You know, and you and I would probably be sitting here now thinking that our computers could be under attack, you know, or we could be being watched. So it is against, it's defending against that. And there are technological solutions to that, as well as, 
you know, procedural to solutions and people solutions to those. So it isn't just the technology. It is much broader. It's awareness. You know, what does it really mean being under a cyber attack or, but you're right. I mean, what we're seeing, of course, is, is people are making use of the cyber environment to attack national infrastructure, to make nations more vulnerable or not necessarily vulnerable, but certainly just create environments where life becomes difficult for people. So cyber is a big thing, and there's a lot more work to go into that. And again, lots of technologies out there can help with that. You know, we talk about blockchain technologies, for example. Again, artificial intelligence, you know, can help in these quantum technologies. You know, that's one that I would, I'd be interested to see how far we're getting with quantum. There are lots of those kind of technologies that can help can you know mitigate the risk from cyber attacks and from cyber intrusion more quickly almost at you know real time speed so recognize and defend against so there are lots of amalgamations of different capabilities that work to create the solution you mentioned artificial intelligence just real quickly i'd love to hear some of your thoughts about is it real <laughs> is it still experimental are there practical applications to it uh uh, that you're seeing in your in your area of of uh, responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been out of the um, I've been out of the mainstream now for two years on this, but but it was moving pretty quickly. But I think you're right. The point about artificial intelligence is is deep neural networks and different types of artificial intelligence. I mean, most of what we think of as artificial intelligence is really clever algorithms, mm -hmm. where eventually the algorithms start to understand the problems themselves, and you know, and they start to develop those. You know, and the chess games back in the Kasparov days, you know, were great examples of that. How they would they were programmed, you know, and they are still programmed. But there is no doubt that beyond that, and in the development, and has been for some time, is the capability to go deeper than that, and for for artificial intelligence to become truly artificial. Um, so, as I say, I'm two years out now. Whether or not anybody's really cracked that at this point, and um, I'm sure you know the Keller Institute and others would would tell you that they have or they are very, very close. But the utility of that for us, you know, there are moral issues as well as other things about, you know, using those kinds of capabilities. But in the sort of defensive role I talked about, it is very much more about algorithms. It's very much more about the programming initially and then the self-learning capability. So there's a whole range from, you know, here and now, you know, you, Amazon shopping, Google right. searches, yeah, you know, that yeah. kind of artificial intelligence as we would refer to it, which which isn't really, it's just clever algorithms. But that is a great capability. You know, that's something that we have been talking about for some time. If we could create in defense those sorts of capabilities that recognize trends, that recognize challenges and problems, and then could play those back to you for, for multiple purposes, whether it's for sustainability or for interoperability or for threat recognition. Those kinds of capabilities already exist. We just need to convert those and um, and retune them to our own specific purposes. Hopefully that makes sense. But oh, it does. It's a big field. It does. But it also touched back to the ability for the private sector to help with the uh, with the military sector. So that was most that was definitely. Good. Yeah, most definitely. And again, I think, you know, autonomy and therefore artificial in auton you know, artificial intelligence in autonomy and autonomous yeah. capabilities. You know, those are, and this is where you would start getting into the conversations about robot wars and things eventually. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
you know, at the moment, we're not that close to that. But, you know, I've mentioned Google cars, I've mentioned Tesla, some of the technologies they use, and the adaptation of that into autonomous capability, you know, you're starting to approach that, you know, you and I have potentially have cars with adaptive cruise control with lane recognition you know we're seeing vehicles on the roads now that are pretty much all self-drive you know go from a to b without any interference is that really artificial intelligence or is that just a whole host of you know bits and pieces connected but all of those things are industry-led you know and then mostly adapted by us and put in a nice hard green box and given a bit more cyber protection (laughs) you know so industry does lead the way but we are following quite closely. Well, this is, I'd love to get your perspective. You know, we, I'm far away from Ukraine. I, I read about it, but I'm not, I'm not there. But, you know, is it fair to say that Russia's not introduced a lot of new technology, but they're, they're relying on the traditional approaches that they've had? And are there areas you can talk about which require new and innovative technical response to what they're doing? Is any of that fair? Yeah. To be very honest, I think you, you know, if you read into this yourself, you'd probably know as much as I do. I think most of the the sort of challenges that, that Russia are facing right now are well documented. You know, they're very much open source. You know, through multiple campaigns and wars that we've been involved in, you know, during at the end of and after the Cold War, I think we started to recognize that, you know, the quantities that they had did not necessarily have the quality. But then again, we shouldn't underestimate what they can do. But I do think they are struggling with their their system collectively, you know, the ecosystem, as you called it before, to bring all of this to bear, all that technology that they potentially do have, but to bring it to bear in the campaign that they're currently involved in. It isn't there. You know, but they are they are involved in some very clever technologies. You know, they do develop some clever technologies. You know, they have their aircraft technically as competent as capable as ours, you know, their anti-access and area denial systems are challenging for us as well, you know, and so they are, they are good, but at the moment it would appear, they just can't bring it all together and use it in the same way. However, when we talk about that again, so technologies, you know, we look at the technologies and we think about the hard green or the hard gray, you know, whether it's battle, battle winning assets, such as ships or aircraft or tanks, But, you know, as you've already mentioned, they are doing a lot in that hybrid space, in that cyber space, in those other areas, you know. So it depends on what you think is important, you know. And, of course, all of Europe right now is feeling the the pain of pipelines being shut down and, and all those other things which either are or aren't being caused by Russia, but other sympathizers. So those kinds of technologies, which which may be slightly cheaper, but are, you know, equally, if not more effective. And also at the same time, it's not as obvious. So depending on what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it, you know, this is not you doing a full on attack across, you know, across the plains with tanks and aircraft, you know, and, and committing people. You can do it in other ways as well, depending on what your outcome is. So yeah, short answer. I don't think we should underestimate Russia's ability, but at the moment, they just don't seem to be bringing it all together in the Ukraine. And uh, I think they're having to do some pretty rapid rethinking. And we know that their logistic infrastructure has struggled with this, you know. So behind that as well, their smart procurement technologies and so on. So there's a bit more for them to learn, but I don't, I don't doubt that if they put their mind to it, then they would have the potential to bring some of this online 
pretty quickly. Well, thanks for sharing that, Eddie, and thanks for letting me ask you that type of question. That's good. Uh, yeah. But if there are 32 NATO nations, all with a lot of smart people who are working in the private industry with lots of funding, that's a tremendous strength and asset for NATO, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Just to tap it. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no question about it, is it? I mean, you know, this sort of free thinking, you know. Yeah. Different approaches, different cultures lead you to different ideas and different ways of using it. No, there's a massive, massive resource across NATO in terms of industry and people and intelligence and to a degree as well, that money, you know, that again, fundamentally industry money, but also state money in certain areas that are critical. And I think the big challenge there is as we now see under this new initiative, under Diana, you know, it's, it's this idea that we're trying to bring it together collectively for the collective good more effectively. And that in itself is very, very powerful. That's great. Well, tell me about yourself. Where are you kind of, where are you focusing your energy these days and call it the next, the next coming period? <laughs> well, in my current job, you know, I focus very much on the sort of sustainability, you know, of, of, capability in the field. And so I look at technologies that help me to be more interoperable across all the nations, communicate more effectively across the nations, and to be able to sustain them more effectively, you know, across all 32 nations, wherever we employ them, whenever and for whatever reason. So, you know, projecting things rapidly you know, in response to an evolving crisis or to a crisis, that's always, you know, a key discussion for us. And then commonality, you know, and again, one of the things, you know, the counterside to having 32 nations, of course, is you want to try and get them all to at least be interchangeable in certain areas and certain parts. So those are the sort of areas that interest me. But at the same time, more generically, you're looking at energy saving measures, you know, where you're trying to make the deploying forces or the employed forces less dependent on the infrastructure that is around them that they're sitting on. You know, you want to make sure that they can survive beyond destruction of, you know, national critical pipelines or fuel systems or whatever it happens to be. So making the force more independent is something that occupies my mind quite a lot and did in my previous jobs as well. More survivable, more reliant. Those are the sort of key areas, you know, how you can reduce the number of people in harm's way if you don't have to have them there, you know, how you can upskill people more quickly, more effectively, and perhaps even replace some of the skills with the capability to reach back or see through somebody else's eyes. And we've seen this a lot in things like telemedicine, you know, in again, in civilian life, you know, there's a lot of areas out there which make really good use of some of these really good technologies to to be able to you know conduct remote surgery. So if you now imagine that in different fields of the military environment, those capabilities are really quite interesting to us. And then you know simple things like effective program project management or task management, you know integrating multiple capabilities into a single ecosphere so so to speak so taking the complex and turn it into into simple see-through solutions and then doing that starting off with one or two nations building up the numbers of nations that get involved in these things data sharing speed of data sharing lots of those things are at the moment on the top of my um, on my list of 
how do we get after these how do we how do we do better because let's be honest you know after 70 plus years you know as the single largest and longest living alliance you know we are we are pretty good and i think we're just looking at being better you know better at defending defending the alliance and and making sure that we can react more more quickly than we do and more coherently and coordinated than we do already and so anything that helps that is where i'm looking fantastic lots of innovation there in everything yeah. you talked about yeah and our little I'm glad to hear you know here's our com- our company focused on road mapping and program management innovation management Plenty of it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for us. So that's uh, that's so that was a good. leading question then, Paul. No, it wasn't, but it ended up there. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, and, and energy saving and all those things you were talking about coordination. So much room for for, uh, for innovation. It's it's really fun to uh, hear you say those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there is, as I say, if you if you break down what um, defense is really all about and what defending the alliance is really all about in terms of if you have to deploy it and use it. And you take that into small bite-sized chunks, you know, managing real estate, managing battle space as it's known, you know, airspace, ground space, maritime space, you know, systems that can see that, can see that in real time, can help you manage it more quickly and more effectively, command and control capabilities. But just the just the methodology and the science behind doing that itself does require you know, dealing with complex problems and dealing, you know, dealing with in, intractable problems to some degree. And that's where, again, AI, some really good software tools and good algorithms really come into their own again to help us get beyond the human challenges of, you know, biases and speed of, you know, speed of thought and gets you at machine speed. So you can run solutions. And again, in some of the projects I um, I led, you know, you can run solutions overnight that, you know, we would take so much longer for you, months or years to run. You know, you can model stuff so quickly now in, in, you know, in the artificial environment. And then you can represent those environments as well. So, you know, immersive technologies. So looking, you know, into, you know, the gaming industry here, for example. Right, right. You know, if we could properly, and we do already, you know, I think it's well known that we use sort of a gaming type technologies for training, for education. Yeah. And now if you try and bring that into an operational environment as well, if you think it through that, you know, so, and then you connect that up to multiple sensors. So you're back to the internet of things or the internet of military things so that you can create a virtual picture of everything that you're dealing with. And then, you know, harness that through these different bits of software to achieve different outcomes and solutions that you're looking for. But now we're back into the elephant. So we need to take that back down to, we need to take that down to a small constituent parts That's right. again. That's right. That's right. Well, Eddie, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for stopping by to have a chat with us. You know, it's really, really great. I, I enjoyed so much. You made the topic very accessible for a lot of listeners who may not so easy able to grasp a lot of things. You spoke very clear and and well, and I thank you for that. No, it was my pleasure, Paul. And as I say, you know, it's a really exciting area, this, um, for everybody. And, I, you know, you, you need to know that everything that I've said is out there. It's open source. There's nothing hidden about what I'm talking about. And um, and I think it's really just important to understand that, you know, military activity is, is, is just slightly different to what we do day to day in normal civilian life anyway, you know, but it has a, a more dramatic outcome if we're not careful. And so everybody 
everybody has a role. The importance is, is the stakes are higher. That's for sure. Yeah. That's exactly the point. Exactly the point. But yeah, so it's been my pleasure. And um, thank you very much indeed. Great. And uh, keep in touch, Eddie. Maybe we'll get you back on in a, again in the future and kind of give us an update on, on how things When I'm are sailing my boat. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Take care, Eddie. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Take care. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. I hope you really enjoyed that as much as I did. That's a, just a fun conversation. I could have, could have gone for an hour, but you know, somehow we have, we have to draw a bow and close these things. But thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great week ahead and take care of everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.